Hey everybody, it's Drags, and this week on episode nine of Jungle Roar, a Cincy football podcast, I welcome Paul Daner, one of the very best on the Bengals beat, and I don't say that lightly, to talk all things stripes after the Who Days won an overtime game that could, could define the start of something big. We'll also look ahead to the Bengals versus Andy Dalton, part two this week at Soldier Field in Chicago. There is not a better Bengals follow on Twitter than Paul. Follow him uh, on Twitter at Paul Daner Jr., all one word. That would be P-A-U-L-D-E-H-N-E-R-J-R. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. I would I, At one point, I would love for someone to say, who I have ranked fifth beat writer on the Bengals beat uh you know just 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 go ahead and then unveil your rankings at that point I have you just but your column this week put you just behind James Rapine you know like I think I think you just got to start putting people in their place you do know that PFF (laughs) is going to come up with a stat for that just like they come up with stats for quarterback (laughs) pressures on third and short which by the way Kirk Cousins did not do very well I read the athletic column on uh, like 30 takes from the uh, games this weekend and boy they were ripping uh, Kirk cousins for throwing short of the sticks huh yeah i mean it's although i think i don't blame Kirk cousins for much when the the clock was ticking real fast in his head on sunday that's for sure i think you're just getting rid of the ball hoping to save your own body at a certain point that was a fun game i thought for an opening day game uh, i thought there was a lot to digest from that uh, right away at the end of the game when i was uh, filing my story i'm like boy there's a lot to digest uh, once we get into the locker room and get back upstairs and do our right throughs i just it was a fun game to cover and uh, i'm sure you felt the same way yeah i love openers for that and this one was particularly unique in that there was just a lot of unknowns um with this team more so than some in the past. And, you know, you always do learn a lot, but yeah, I would agree with you. This was, this was more when you throw in the what's Burrow going to look like and chase thing. And this, this defense with all these new pieces and just sort of just a lot of mystery in, in the line. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of mystery. And I thought we, I thought we actually did learn a lot and the vast majority of it was encouraging. I mean, there's still some stuff out there, that is going to be worrisome as the year goes along, but I thought it was outweighed by some of the good. Every team, and you know this, every team has something they're going to worry about. So I think for the Bengals, what's going to be important uh, is that they accentuate the positives. And I think on this roster, it's a much different and I think a much improved roster. Uh, I'm going to start with the quarterback because everybody wants to get your feel for how Joe Burrow looked. My takeaway was him getting up from Dalvin Thompson's uh hit and throwing a touchdown the first his first touchdown of 2021 to T Higgins in the back of the end zone when you go back and look at that uh, play he waited until the last second you know T uh, came off the line of uh, scrimmage and uh, ran to an open spot and I, I thought Burrow just showed incredible toughness taking that hit and making that throw I agree with you Trags. I went back and looked at that play three or four times on Monday it, just because there was a bunch of elements I, I wanted to look at from the beginning of the game and I I had I knew he took it I did not realize how much he stood in there and it was like right that was such a big part of that is Burrow back is he mentally ready to stand in there and take hits and take the punishment and I mean that really was exhibit 1a to yeah he's gonna hold it as long as he needs to even if it's one that's coming up under his chin and he did and delivered it I mean, because he had to he had to wait that long for for T to come into the clearing and 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 he you know, drops it right in there. It really, 
I just I go back to some of my thoughts preseason of what it, what I envisioned, and that was just don't bet against Joe Burrow. Like we we've just seen this in every element of his life, whether it's Athens High School, whether it was transferring from Ohio State to LSU, whether it was what he did taking LSU to the next level, going into Alabama, being the top pick, coming coming in with no preseason, no offseason, then his recovery timeline, the way he attacked, just betting against Joe Burrow being anything but exceeding what the, the primary expectations are for a situation is just a fool's errand. And he's proven that over and over again. And so I'm not surprised by this. I mean, I'm not surprised that he came out and is taking hits and hobbling off and saying, forget it. I mean, get me on the bike. I'm going to just shake this off, get the adrenaline going and finish this game. I mean, do you expect anything less at this point? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's the fabric of him. It's who he is. He's, he's that guy who wants to be the toughest guy on the field and there's nothing that's going to stop him. Even, even including a, a horrific knee injury that took nine months to recover from. So the number one question I get from my friends back in New England, they know that I'm, you know, here in Cincinnati now and and settled here and covering the Bengals. Can Joe Burrow be a Tom Brady-esque type player? And he's been through the ACL. He's been through half a career, Tom Brady 1.0, where people were doubting him that, you know, he was a game manager. That's all he was. He couldn't throw the ball deep, didn't have as strong an arm. I mean, you're hearing a lot of similarities And look, it's very early in his career. He hasn't even played a full NFL season, but the attitude and his eyes and the way he answers questions, to me, the attitude is just as important as anything else, Paul. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady is a lift all boats guy, right? I mean, that's yep. that's it. It it's makes everybody around you better. And there's no way you can say anything other than Joe Burrow makes everybody around him better. There's a couple of things. One, there was a very small clip on a Bengals video after the preseason game. And it was some sort of hype video for the opener. But the, it was Joe Burrow bringing everybody up after the, the Dolphins preseason game and basically said, you know, he comes in there and he's confidently just says, look, everybody go get your crap together. Come back, ready to freaking go. And, and like, it was just this at like, it was like, oh, that's that guy's room. Like that, that's that guy, you know, and he talked openly about how he has more ownership over the game plan. He's and, and how Thad Moss was like, why aren't you telling people what to do? Yes. Why aren't you talking to people? Right. And he said, you know, why am I not doing that? And the, and that ownership is what he did at LSU, what he did in winning over everyone in Louisiana and and what they, he started to do last year, but it kind of became clouded by the whole rehab and the knee and how do I feel? And once he started focusing outward instead of inward, um, he started being that guy again. When I saw that clip, I was like, okay, that is everybody looking to that guy and that guy telling them what to do, lift, lifting all boats. And then the other side of that, the other thing that struck me, was two things that I thought were holes in his game last year on the field and, and that he talked a lot about working on offseason was the obvious that we've beat to death, which is the deep ball right. and why they drafted Jamar Chase and the need for that. What does he do? He goes and improves his arm strength, work with Jordan Palmer and, and all those people to, 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 to work on being better at that and having stronger arm. It shows off immediately when he, when he drops an absolute dime down the sideline that wasn't some soft, 50 yard toss i mean it was right on the money with with some oomph to it and and you see that immediately 
And then it was the efficiency in his game last year. He was a volume passer for the most part last year. I mean, he put up big numbers because he was the Thursday night game against Cleveland for almost 60 throws. Right. And I mean, that was kind of, but his efficiency numbers were eh, when you really looked at him across history of first year quarterbacks and across when you were comparing him, Justin Herbert, things like that, his efficiency numbers weren't great. What did he come out and do highest efficiency of his career yards per attempt completion percentage, uh, and then the fewest attempts, right? They didn't need to, they didn't need him to go out there and throw it. He made the most of those situations. Those are winning numbers. Efficiency passing numbers are winning numbers in this league. And I thought him approaching those two things, and they kind of go hand in hand together that way uh, was the sign of an evolution was a sign of the next step. And when you're that those guys, guys that put up that are in the top 10 in the league in adjusted yards per attempt and, and, you know, explosive plays, those are teams that win games almost regardless of what else is happening around them. We'll make one more Tom Brady reference and then we'll move on to the defense. And <laughs> you want is- to talk it into existence. So uh, Super Bowl 36, the first one that the Patriots won, you know, the, the famous John Madden, they should be going for overtime here. They shouldn't be doing anything but sit on the ball and, and, and let overtime come. And, and Tom Brady hits J.R. Redmond on a pass that sets up a uh, flat screen to or a uh, pass out in the flat to uh, Troy Brown. And those two passes to me define Tom Brady early in his career and more to the point that Bill Belichick had no fear putting the ball in his hands in the biggest game that there is. Well, certainly Sunday wasn't a Super Bowl, but in many ways it's a huge game for the Bengals because they need to get off to a good start this year. I don't think there's any question about that. And on fourth and inches to put the ball in uh, Burrow's hand the way Zach Taylor did and said, okay, if you see something, go ahead with the secondary call and um, the leak pattern to uh, CJ Uzama. There were so many things that went right and the execution on that play, but for Burrow to go to that call, calmly throw it in a perfect spot tells me all I need to know about Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, he, I did a story last year talking to coaches about their favorite plays of his from his first half and, and, and that what the striking and then it being the theme of it was, so much of what he was doing that was great was something that the the average eye would not see that was happening behind the scenes that was happening in the chess match that he was playing that corners didn't even I know love those playing stories. with him yes. well and and it was talking about how he would i mean in the second game against the browns come out and audible to something that they used on a fourth down in the first game with two receivers or some sort of concept and then seeing the browns corners seeing it and instantly audibling to the audibling to the counter of that recalling something that they hadn't gone over in four weeks to to break mike thomas free up a seam while the other corner runs to the outside thinking that they're going to run that same play and his ability to process that stuff in the moment and, and and the trust of him to to do that and that was the point of the more reps this guy does all you do is deposit into that instant recall bank more weapons, more plays that he can yep. go to, more things that he can get to. And he's got that recall to where once you just build his bank of options, the other team is toast. And I think you start, you you see that the more that they're giving, going to give him that ability. It's not that he's given more freedom at the line it's that he has more plays to get to at the line and that's what's become scary for defenses and that's where your efficiency numbers go up so high 
Speaking with Paul Daner Jr. Uh, covering the Bengals for The Athletic, one of the best writers uh, that there is on the beat. And I say that uh, not lightly. I mean it very sincerely. Let's move on to the defense in a column that you wrote on uh, Tuesday. Bengals getting what they paid for on the defensive line. And the, the, the essence of the column to me is the Bengals knew that they had to invest in a defense that was getting pushed around and not getting enough pressure to generate the sacks. Everybody knows, I think they were second to last in the NFL or dead last. I forget which it was uh, in 2020 uh, in sacks. I think they had 17 the whole season long. Not good. So that what did they do? They go out and they rebuild uh, the defensive line. Um, and now you have Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, Larry Ogunjobi, and Sam Hubbard along the front and on uh Sunday, they actually played at times early on with five defensive uh, linemen. Uh, They rotated in uh, a lot of different guys uh, into the rotation, and it just seems like their investment, Paul, really paid off. Yeah, and and not only that, you know, part of the investment we didn't see, I mean, they invested draft capital with three picks on the defensive line and Joseph Osai, who we won't even see all year, Mm -hmm. and they traded a former first-round pick who was was your – your offensive line depth, really your only proven offensive line depth away to add BJ Hill showing this is where we feel like it can make a difference. Like having those waves, having that real pressure. Cause they just, it wasn't just that they only had 17 sacks last year. It was, they rarely had pressure and they specifically never had it in the quarterback's face. And you can't watch Sunday and not immediately see how it changes absolutely everything when you have, a quarterback who doesn't feel like he can step up. And I mean, Larry Ogunjobi at one point sacked Kirk Cousins with the body of the center that was trying to block him, just tossing him. It was old Geno Atkins stuff yes. for Bengals fans that have been around where he would do that. He would literally just throw his blocker into the guy. And Reader was doing the same thing. You know, so we looking it up, I mean, they sure they have three sacks, which actually equaled the total for all defensive tackles all of last season on the Bengals. Um, they also had one called back on Sunday. And then you look at pressures. Well, PFF charted them for seven. Well, they only had 34 charted for all defensive tackles all of last year. I'm just talking about defensive tackles. I mean, you're, you're 20% of the way to your season-long pressure total. They drew five holding penalties, technically six. One was declined. They drew 15 holding penalties all of last year. I mean, that's the difference. I mean, and for people that say Minnesota's offensive line is bad, yeah, they are. Guess whose offensive line is also bad? Chicago, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh. It's their weak link. I mean, this is the key to their early run to the season, giving them the start that they need to build that momentum. To see that on Sunday against Minnesota, I thought was the the biggest development of the day because that yes. is something that they can hang their hat on defensively and and really ruin really wreck games and and that's how you win in this league keeping quarterbacks off platform off rhythm what so many of them rely on. How do you think this defense can be different, Paul? Um, the defensive line in particular, since we're focusing so much attention on it early in the season, than the one that had Geno Atkins in his prime, Carlos Dunlap and, and others. Well, I don't know if they can be that. I mean, those guys were special. And Zim I think they can cooking. be deeper, but yeah. not to interrupt you, but I think yeah. they can be deeper, but not have as many explosive huge plays, you know, time after time. I mean, look, how, 
what percentage of the defensive snaps did Geno play? North of 75%, right? Typically. It got it definitely got lower later in his career. Yes. But yes. I mean, and, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you're, I just, I don't think, I think you're, I'm with you that, you know, the, the top, I mean, you're, you're, you're generational with Geno Atkins I mean, yes. and the way he changed games and, and he, he'll be in a Hall of Fame conversation one day. But, you know, you, you, you know, I referenced Zimmer sort of and as far as at Paul Brown Stadium. He perfected defensive tackles and waves with those guys early on when he would bring them through along with Domata Pecco and Robert Gathers and, and Wallace Gilberry and some of these where those guys who were decent second wave guys, giving them real opportunities to play to keep everybody fresh. So when they're coming in and they're feeling like people have a role and it really it worked over and over again for him. And that was and including keeping Geno Atkins fresh. I mean, I remember times in Geno's prime where we would have to write stories about why isn't Geno in here on all of these key downs? Like, cause they're really dedicated to keeping those guys fresh and understanding the importance of that um, when they're going, you know, every single snap. Now I understand not doing it when you don't have the depth. And last year they didn't have any, any starters or backups. They only had street free agents that they brought in Xavier Williams and Marcus hunts the world utilizing that the way they did with everyone between 71 and 29% of snaps yesterday on the defense of those four defensive tackles, I thought made everyone better. And, and I thought really overwhelmed Minnesota. And I think the same concept will overwhelm Chicago on Sunday. Well, I I do too. And I'm glad you brought up Chicago because I want to get to Andy Dalton and the defense that he is facing uh, will be facing on Sunday, vastly different than the one he faced as quarterback of the Cowboys in week, I believe it was 14 last year at Paul Brown Stadium. And I want to bring up some names. So uh, this year, Trey Hendrickson, Larry Ogunjobi, Logan Wilson, uh, Mike Hilton, uh, Eli Apple, and um, Chidobi Awuzie. All of those players were not in the starting lineup when the Bengals took the field against Andy Dalton. I think therein lies the biggest reason why the Bengals should have a little bit more success against Dalton this year. You can also name the five offensive linemen for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> I didn't have time in my yeah. prep, Paul. Yeah, I, I mean that. I that. mean that's. Uh, they're not only were they not going to be great and be the weak link there, but now they're even more banged up. They lose a couple of tackles. Uh, in the game against the Rams on Sunday. And it's like, who's even going to be out there at some of these spots? Yeah. I mean, that's the big difference. I mean, I don't think he completed a pass over 10 air yards on Sunday. You know, it was just, everything had to be quick. And we've seen that from Dalton when Dalton, you know, he he'll be the guy to do that. He's not afraid to do it, but you know, it's, it, it's not going to be, you're not going to get the best out of Andy when, when he's just forced to be kind of one dimensional and get the ball out so quick like that every single time um, he needs to be able to have somebody to stretch the defense for him. That's going to be the key is, is recreating what they did against Minnesota here on, on Sunday in Chicago to, to rattle Andy, you know, a little bit and force him to have to react spontaneously, which is, which is just not as much in his playbook as the pre-snap stuff is. And they can't let Montgomery run through them. I mean, they did such a good job, uh, almost, I, I thought, at times, great job containing Dalvin Cook. And, and they, they admitted to the world, look, our job is to stop Dalvin Cook. And it wasn't just coach speak, right? Sometimes you hear these coordinators before a game, we really worried about whoever it is, Joe Smith running the ball. 
and you know their actual game plan is on the wide receivers. Well, you got the sense uh, going into the game on Sunday against the Vikings. If they didn't stop uh, Dalvin Cook, they were screwed, and Cook could dictate the tempo. Well, they did a good job of uh, stopping Dalvin Cook, and I thought for the most part it was the reason the Bengals controlled the tempo. They can't let up. After building one good game, and that's all it was, one game, you cannot go into Chicago and and somehow not show up as a defensive front and let them run through you. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota was a run first. Not only did they stop Dalvin Cook, you know, holding him in check, but then when they kept them behind the sticks when, when they got pressure and created the penalties and things like that that kept them off – you know, where, I mean, Kirk Cousin throwing it 46 times, whatever, and a B in, I mean, that's the recipe for success. You wanted to force him to be the one to beat you and not Dalvin yep. Cook. And they no did question. that by keeping them on the wrong side, you know, of, you know, of where they wanted to be. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you've got it. You've got to do that. Um, and, and Montgomery's, a, I think, led the league in yards after contact last week. And, and, and he's, he's going to be great. That's, so they're going to have to bring him down. But yeah, I mean, I think, defensively it's hard to have, take issue with who they were against Minnesota. And it really kind of built on what we saw all camp and all preseason in that this new veteran group really has kind of gelled together and found some attitude pretty quickly. That can get on. I mean, that can get unhinged in a hurry. Um, and we saw some of that at the, the end of the, uh, at the end of the re- of regulation on Sunday. Yes. But I mean, I think, I thought- you know, you it's still it's still a really nice start for considering how many new pieces are putting together. Look, Vikings made mistakes, but the, the idea is if a team like the Vikings makes mistakes, take advantage of them. And the bank give the Bengals credit. That's exactly I thought what they did most of the day on Sunday. I think Zach Taylor deserves a lot of credit. Look, um, Ben Baby of ESPN.com covering the Bengals and I and uh, James Rapine got into a debate over that fourth and one third at their own 30 call, as did millions of Bengals fans around the planet. And my attitude was initially, as the play happened, that you're in complete control of the game at 21-7. Don't give the Vikings any window to get back into the game. What's the worst thing that can happen? Bill Belichick would always preach. What's the worst possible thing that could happen, especially when you're in control? You give control and momentum to the other team. And to me, that's what happened. However, upon further review, I do think he is coaching the team with no fear. No fear of his job, no fear of losing. And he said that on Monday, right? He said, this team is not going to play with fear this year. And that was my biggest takeaway from Zach Taylor talking about uh, Sunday's game the day after. I have a healthy fear of things. Uh, I like. <laughs> I like to, you know. Okay. I feel like you should. Uh, I believe it was the poet Busta Rhymes who said you should have a healthy fear of us, and and I I agree with that. Uh, is I love fearlessness and I love aggression. And actually, the analytics say that it was the right call by the numbers by one yeah. percent and win probability. If you're into such things, and I'm sure Sam Francis, their analytics guys, is in their his ear telling him that. Be like, look, numbers say this is a toss up decision. It's your gut at that one, and you want to go out there and really try to put 
a game away. You, by the way, are going to see a whole lot more of decisions like this, not just in Cincinnati, but across the league. Look at the fourth down, go for it numbers on Sunday. That's what this league is now. There's so much more of that. I mean, you know, the days of people throwing their arms up at Belichick on fourth and two against Indianapolis, thinking, what the hell was that? 2009. That's that's 12 years ago. And that was sort of the beginning (laughs) of this, of look, the, we we now know enough about what wins games and the percentage chances of winning games and, and the value of every possession and getting the most out of it in an offensive league. And the, But this, and Zach admitted afterwards, was not played like a 2021 game. This was an old-school football Bloody game. game. He and he, that call was not a call of an old-school football game. And that's, I think, where the disconnect happens was you were doing, you had everything in your control defensively in that we were really almost, almost yet to see them drive the field against them. And it was like, let them, let, let them be forced to go out there and get Dalvin cook going or, or force Kirk cousins to drop back again. Don't just hand them something. And when, when you have that lead, force them to take time for, let your defense go eat before you go uh, just doing it. So, I thought it was a good – I don't have a problem with the new school call or the new school aggression, but even Zach, I mean, he kind of did it in an old school game, whereas, you know, I, I don't – you know, I think I think it's more of a toss-up probably than people want to give, but I think, I, like most, I was still stunned just because of the way the defense had been playing all game. It felt like a prime opportunity to let them, Joe, just keep beating Cousins in a submission. Speaking of which, uh, Jesse Bates said uh, he was kind of pissed off uh, that two things pissed him off on Monday when he spoke to us for the first time uh, in several weeks uh, after several weeks since he spoke in training camp and he spoke on Monday. He was pissed off that the defense was kind of put in that position and didn't respond, I think was the other other shoe to drop in in terms of him being ticked off at uh, Zach going for it on fourth and one. The defense didn't respond, gave up the fourth and four TD pass to Adam Thielen. He was also pissed off about um, the fact that, or he's going to play pissed off uh, without a new contract. Your thoughts on, on Jesse Bates and why Bengals fans should think they're going to get see the best of Jesse Bates as a uh, pissed off um Free safety. Yeah, I I don't know how he plays pissed off. He's not, I don't know if that's who he is. If he's a, a chip on his shoulder guy, or if if this stuff got to him, or if it will get to him. If you know, it's to me, it's not today. It to me, it's it's week five, and he's had some uneven games, or he gets beat, or misses a tackle, and he starts worrying about how this is going to affect his right. contract situation, and you. You don't see business decisions happen in week one. You see business decisions happen in week 10. You see business decisions happen in week 12. You see guys get distracted that last month of the season and check out, especially if a team's not doing so well. That's where I wonder about. I don't, and I, and I don't necessarily think Jesse Bates will be that guy, but you know, I feel him. I feel him. He said, I didn't take the Jamal Adams, right? Route. I practiced every day. I was a good teammate. Uh, I, I was elected a captain. Uh, I'm out there giving you everything. I gave you a great season, and, and you're not even going to come and 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 try to pay me. And you're going to haggle over whatever percentage you want to save. I get it. I get being pissed at that and feeling like, what else do I got to do to not feel like you're going to push this against me? Um, it is a business, but I, I think it's short sighted business by the Bengals. Something that they've they you do. Wrote- a great column on that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's. I just think it's it's one thing. It's not the business that they supposedly claim that they're in. They claim they're in the draft to fellow pertain business, uh, but they haven't been. And they overpaid because it was the going rate for Trey Hendrickson, for Trey Waynes, for DJ Reader, for you know those are all expensive players. But yet your own guy, your guy, maybe your best draft pick of the last decade. Your draft developer, retained perfect guy, captain, wants to be here, still young, wants to lead everything, wants to move his mom to Cincinnati. You haggle over. I and, just don't get it. I mean, yeah. th- th- there's a disconnect there that I'm sure a lot of Bengals fans also feel. Uh, you know, it's not just us in the media. We, you know, don't see the connect because, you know, we don't obviously have, um, you know, access to Katie Blackburn's negotiations with uh, Jesse Bates. And look, I mean, she's not, you know, foolish. She she must know she's thinking that the the Bengals are going to get the best possible deal. But I also think they're, they're gambling here and, you know, they're gambling that his attitude doesn't go South. Yeah. I, I often find they don't think about the effect in the locker room enough and 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 what that means and how it's viewed because it's viewed as the same way we view oh they extended Joe Mixon they extended Sam Hubbard they extended Geno Atkins in his prime or with Carlos or AJ you come here you do it right you do it the right way you do everything the perfect way you get rewarded it makes every young player and Sam Hubbard talked about this about how the T Higgins is of the world and you know Jamar and whatever everybody can look to that and say look you do everything right they'll treat you right that's how you make your money here and that is seen well the same effect is had when you treat jesse bates like this you come in here you do it right you want to be a captain you don't hold out you do everything the correct way and they're gonna they're gonna haggle with you over seven percent and and make you go out there and 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 put it on yourself to not get hurt or play the same or whatever that has reverberations you know and and i think that they probably overlook those when they look at because you know what they're like well look we got the tag sitting there next year it really is no sweat off their back from an on-field perspective but it's not this isn't about to me the on-field perspective they're not going to lose jesse bates on the field i wonder how much they'll lose of him in the locker room that is a great point and we'll uh, take that point uh, Paul, to wrap it up here, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. You can download it everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts like Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also want to thank our great guest again, Paul Daner of The Athletic. Nobody covers the Bengals any better than he does. Follow him on Twitter at Paul Daner Jr., all one word. I'm Mike Petralia. Thanks for listening.